You are listening to Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. A place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. I'm going to just do a quick wrap-up of the series that we were on about justice and what justice looks like. And um, it's based on this one main verse, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And as we've been going through this series, I've been trying to figure out how we navigate this kind of current call for um, justice in our community, that there's been a lot of upheaval and a lot of questions about how just or unjust we are as a community and how can we do better. And as people who love the Lord and love Scripture, we want to do better. And it's tempting to jump to conclusions and try to figure out specific ways that we can act without really understanding the problem. And so what I've tried to do over the last several weeks is get at the real problem. And if you haven't listened to any of those messages, feel free to go back and and do that. But to not just jump to conclusions that are focused on the symptoms, but to actually go deeper into the real issues. And so I wanted to try to wrap that up today with some conclusions. And in honor of it being Micah 6.8, I'm going to give six observations or six things I think we've noticed over the past couple weeks and then give eight suggestions for things that we might be able to do about it. So we'll wrap up by doing it this way. So first, the six observations. First, God loves justice and hates injustice. This we know. God is a God who stands for what is right and true. He can stand for no other. He cannot stand for injustice And so God, by his very nature, must be one who brings justice and who fights injustice. Now, one of the greatest injustices that we need to address is the injustice of individuals who are self-righteous. When we recognize that we as individuals are self-righteous, we believe that we do not need Jesus in order to be made righteous. We believe that we can be good, we can be morally right, we can be in good standing with God and this world. We believe we can do that apart from Jesus. That, was, that makes us self-righteous. Self-righteousness is the reason for injustice. It's because we think we can live apart from God. Apart from Jesus, there is no justice. We need Jesus to remove our sins and make us whole. We need Jesus to make things right, to restore. We're the kind of people who believe in restoring a broken world. It starts with us needing to be restored into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's where it all starts. And the reason why that is possible is because God sent His Son to live and die in our place so that we could be made right because God loves justice and He hates injustice. That's the first observation. Second observation, Jesus shows us God's heart. If we want to understand what God cares about, we look at what Jesus cared about. The Bible says that Jesus is the exact representation of the invisible God. But Jesus was visible. How did he live? Jesus loved the outcast. He loved the oppressed. He loved the marginalized. 
This is actually my third observation. Jesus loves the hurting. It seems that Jesus had a special place in his heart for those who are hurting. This was the mission Jesus gave for himself or the way he described his mission in Luke chapter 4. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when we read about Jesus and how he lived his life, we see he did exactly that mission. He continued to reach out in everything that he did to care for those who were in need because he loved the hurting. Which leads to observation number four. As followers of Jesus, we love the hurting. We also seek justice. This is part of who we are. We are the kind of people, and we're trying to build the kind of community that says, we love justice. We care for the hurting. James 1 Verse 26, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We are the kind of people who look out for people in distress. We care for them. Jesus did it, and we're following Jesus, which leads to number, observation number five. There are a lot of opportunities to do this because we are engaged in a battle. The enemy loves to destroy justice. And we heard a few weeks ago from Steve that the enemy is not other people. The enemy is the devil, the evil one, and his demons. And he's out there trying to undermine every good thing that God would do. And he's continuing to do that so that at times when we look out in the world, we see a world that's very broken. It's very unjust and very evil. But even though the world looks like it's out of control, sometimes we have this observation number six. God is still in control. God is always in control. God never relinquishes control of this world. Now, to illustrate these six observations, I'm going to turn to one passage, and it's in Genesis chapter 18. You know the story about Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah were two very wicked cities. If you wanted to find injustice, you would find that injustice lived in Sodom. It was a very wicked, despicable place, and God decided that he was going to destroy them because of their wickedness. Abraham, who lived there, decided he was going to plead for his neighbors and ask God to spare them. And this is what is described in Genesis chapter 18. The Lord came to Abraham and said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great And their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached the Lord and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? See, this is a question about justice. Is God going to be just or unjust? Is he going to destroy the innocent along with the guilty? And Abraham asked the question, What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare that place for the sake of 50 righteous people? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of the whole earth do what is right? Now, Abraham is banking on God's character. And God's character is just. Will not the judge of all the earth do the right thing? 
And Abraham knows the answer to that question. God will do what is right. He must do what is right. If God is unjust, then God stops being God. So God's judgment of Sodom must be judged. And then, of course, you know, there's this little debate that goes on between Abraham and God about, well, are you going to spare them for 50, 40, 30, 20, 10? If there's 10 righteous people, will you still spare? It's kind of a rhetorical question because God knows, or Abraham knows that God won't destroy the 10 innocent, but there weren't 10. God is completely just in what he does because he is the supreme judge of the earth. And he is our hope in this world for justice. God will bring justice. Justice will prevail because God is a God who loves justice and hates injustice. No matter what chaos we see, we know that God is still in charge and still in control, and he's inviting us to partner with him to bring about more and more justice all the time, which leads to my eight suggestions, eight things that I think might help bring about a little more justice in our world. And I thought um, I would patter them after the Ten Commandment language since that seemed to work pretty good. We'll try that. So the first one is, Thou shalt lament injustice. I read through a number of the prophets in prepping for this series, and I noticed that just about every prophet at some point has a lament against wickedness. They're sad when they see injustice, and they cry out. Now, this is an interesting option because when we cry out about wickedness and justice, one option is to say, we're going to turn our backs on God. We see this world, and it's so messy. It's so messed up. We don't trust that God is still in control. We don't trust He's still going to do what He promised to do. I'm going to abandon God. But the person who laments makes a different choice. The person who laments says this, I'm going to actually turn toward God and I'm going to make my complaint to Him directly. That's what a lament is. A lament is crying out to God to tell Him, this isn't right, it's wrong, and something should be done about it. One of the things that we're called to do as people who follow Jesus and love the Lord is to lament whenever we see brokenness and injustice. I've been trying to learn a lot about this in a short period of time. One of the things that I did was I read a book that's called The Sun Does Not Shine. It's a memoir. I highly recommend it. It was written by a guy named Anthony Ray Hinton, who was a man who was unjustly sentenced to death for murders he did not commit. And they actually, he was convicted based on solely on eyewitness testimony that was fraudulent, and there was no forensic evidence to support their testimony, and he actually had a rock-solid alibi. But he was still convicted. He was put on death row for many years. And then someone was pleading his case, and he eventually was acquitted. Um, when I'm reading this story of what happened to this man, my usual way of responding to these kind of things is like, yeah, well, that doesn't happen very often. That's the one-off. That's not a, that big a deal. But as I was reading this story, something different happened. My reaction was, this is so sad. This man suffered unjustly for years. And my response was lament. 
God, this is not right. This should not happen. It should not happen to one person. So this is maybe something we can practice a suggestion to cry out when we see something that's wicked. The second suggestion is celebrate justice. When we do see something right, when we do see a little more of God's kingdom breaking in, we see something that was wrong fixed, when we see the brokenness repaired, we celebrate that. And this is one thing that might be missing from a lot of the, com- the current dialogue about injustice. It seems like it can't celebrate the fact that good things are happening. We see more and more justice coming all the time. We see God's kingdom breaking in more and more until one day, the Bible says, justice will come like a mighty river. It'll come rolling in till the whole earth is covered with God's glory, till the, everything is right, till everything is just. In the meantime, we are called to celebrate when we see justice. Third suggestion, thou shalt love thy neighbor. I talked with a number of different people throughout the last four weeks, people who are people of color, minorities, people who are in authority, police, our leadership on our church, and one thing I heard over and over again from almost everybody was this. One simple first step is love your neighbor. Do a better job loving the people around you. And I think that's great advice. Jesus gave similar advice in uh, Luke. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus, and the lawyer asked, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But the lawyer wanted to justify himself, so he asked the question, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and he went away, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who was robbed? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go do likewise. Go love your neighbor. Thou shalt love your neighbor. Next suggestion Love, thou shalt love your neighbor without partiality. Thou shalt be impartial. We looked at James 2, one of the weeks, and it talks about showing favoritism and the problem of favoritism, the problem of prejudice. Thou shalt love impartially. On the next suggestion, thou shalt stand up for what is right even when others do not. Thou shalt keep loving even when it's not popular. Thou shalt love people who are not like you. 
Thou shalt stand up and defend what is right and true. We are the kind of people who love justice and hate injustice. So we stand up for what is right. Suggestion number six, thou shalt speak the truth with humility. A lot of times we end up in dialogues about these kind of things, and last week we looked a lot at humility. We need to be humble enough to admit we don't have all the answers. We need to be humble enough to admit we are part of the problem. We need to be humble enough to listen to other people when they're talking. We need to be humble enough to speak the truth boldly and courageously. We need to be humble enough to acknowledge when we're wrong. We need to speak the truth with humility, and we do it for the sake of others. We know this can be complicated, so humility is essential. Suggestion number seven, thou shalt seek the well-being of the city. We've been thinking about this passage for several years. I think it definitely applies again here that when the city prospers, we prosper. And I know we all tend to, I, maybe I don't know if you are, but I know I tend to be biased, and I know that my neighborhood is very not diverse. My neighborhood is very white, very upper middle class, very safe, very not plagued with problems. And I know that there's a lot of energy sometimes around some of these issues, and then in my neighborhood, things go back to normal really quickly. And I go, it's fine for me. It's good for my neighbors. This verse is calling us to think a little bit bigger and to recognize that our city has a lot of different neighborhoods in them. And it's not fine in every neighborhood. Can we seek the welfare of the whole city? Not just our own neighborhoods, not just our own families, not just our own little niche. Can we seek the well-being of the whole city. I think that's a suggestion. Thou shalt seek the well-being of the whole city. And suggestion number eight, thou shalt lean into the discomfort of it all. This can be hard to talk about. It can be hard, difficult things to figure out and complex. There can be very diverse opinions and some of those opinions very heated. Thou shalt lean into it. I know when I started this, I didn't really want to follow it. I my favorite posture and related to this I talked about the first week is ostriching. I love to stick my head in the sand and ignore it and hope it goes away. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to pay attention and lean into the discomfort. One of the things I did, many people had suggested, well, you need to talk to people of race, people who are in the minority. You need to talk to them about this. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I need to do that or not. Finally, they convinced me I should do that. So I've had multiple conversations, including two just this week with people of color. And I was surprised about how gracious they were in having these conversations with me, how open they were to discuss it. I was surprised at how positive they were. Both of these individuals, neither one of them had any anger at all. I was expecting them to blow up and be mad about something. They didn't express any anger, but they were hopeful. And they were excited about some of the signs they see of change that's coming and good, positive, helpful change. And they were glad that I asked them about it. And they were glad to share it with me. And so it's teaching me I can lean into some of that discomfort, maybe some of that unknown, and keep learning more and more and more about that. Here's what we know. He has shown us what He requires of us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And I'm going to keep figuring that out for myself, and I'm going to invite you all to keep figuring it out for yourselves. 
and hopefully the outcome will be a lot more justice, a lot more of God's kingdom coming to our neighborhoods and to our city and to our nation and to our world. And that's what I'm praying for. In fact, let's pray about that right now. Lord God, we come before you today, and I want to give you thanks because we know that you are a God of justice. You're a God who does what is right. You're a God who's bringing about more and more of your goodness and revealing yourself in more and more ways and calling us to partner with you in accomplishing that. God, I give you thanks for these good people, for those who are watching and listening today who are willing to think about the call that you place on them the call to love their neighbor in specific, concrete ways. And I pray that your spirit, God, would be stirring up each of us in this room to learn more and more about how we might be able to do that in our own neighborhoods. God, I thank you for those today who are here who have been touched by your hand, who have experienced some of your goodness through healing, through encouragement, through health. I pray that you'll continue to watch over and care for those who are sick or hurting. God, I thank you for those who are here who have experienced a touch of your presence to bring comfort in times of discouragement or sadness or grief. We pray for those who might be hurting yet today. God, I want to pray for Karen Bryant and for her family in the loss of Dave. Just pray that you'll bring comfort to them in this time of sorrow. To others who have lost loved ones, comfort them. God, I give you thanks for those who have taken up the call in our community and around the world to to fight for what is right, to stand up for justice, strengthen them to that, continue to bring more and more justice. God, I thank you for those who have taken up the call to lead and defend and protect us in various ways. I thank you for those who are caring for us in our health, those who work in the medical field, who are in the front lines providing care. God, I thank you for those who are serving in the police force and providing safety and security, those who are serving in the military, those who are called to uh, even lay down their lives for the sake of pr- protecting and providing for us. God bless them. God, we thank you for those who are engaged in teaching and administering our schools. God, we know that they are in the front lines of trying to figure out how to best carry out their work. Give them wisdom and uh, just guide all those who are involved in our schools. God, we ask that you'll continue to protect us and keep us safe continue to care for those in need, and we'll be careful, God, to give you praise and thanks for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you are blessed by today's message. If you'd like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, please visit our website, www.cedarhillscr.org.